Welcome back to our study of 2 Kings. We're in 2 Kings chapter 8. We're looking at the second half of chapter 8 this time. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 16 where there's a new king in Judah. Now, one note here about reading 1 and 2 Kings is it can be difficult to keep track of all the names and all the kings in particular. One of the things you want to watch for is whether the book is talking about Israel or about Judah, right? You may not be able to keep straight all the names and and this passage is particularly difficult, but if you can keep straight whether you're talking about Israel, which is the Northern Kingdom, or Judah, which is the Southern Kingdom, that's really the main thing you want to keep track of. And then the second main thing you want to keep track of is the king that they're talking about at the time. Is it a king who is wrapped up in idolatry or is it a king who is faithful to God? Those are really the two things that you want to be watching for. Uh, Most of what we have seen uh, up to this point in 2 Kings, I think, has had to do with Israel, or at least a lot of it. Um, But now the story is pivoting back to Judah. And so here's what we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. It says, In the fifth year of Joram the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Now, I don't know about you, but a sentence like that can just kind of make my head spin, right? There are so many J names, right? Joram, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and uh, we're talking about Judah, right? And Jehoshaphat's name shows up twice. And if you look down to verse 21, uh, in verse 21, it uses the name Joram, but it, you might have a footnote like I do that says Joram is it says an alternate spelling of Jehoram, right? Which is makes it even more confusing because at least in verse 16, it sounds like we're talking about Joram and Jehoram, but it turns out those are basically the same name, just two different versions of the same name. One's a king in Israel and one's a king in Judah, but their names are essentially the same. So if I get the names mixed up, please forgive me. And if you get the names mixed up while you're trying to follow along, don't feel bad, right? This is hard to keep track of. But the main thing we want to note is that we're talking about Judah here. We're talking about the king of Judah. That's the southern kingdom. Um, That's uh, what the focus is here. So um, we've got a new king in Judah named Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat. Right, verse 17 says he was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now that's important. He's a king of Judah, but he's walking in the way of the kings of Israel. What does that mean? As the house of Ahab had done for the daughter of Ahab was his wife and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, from the beginning, when Israel separated from Judah after the days of Solomon, when Israel separated from Judah from the beginning, Israel was led into idolatry from its first king, Jeroboam. And what Jeroboam did is he made two golden calves, and um, he put one in Dan, and I think the other one was in Bethel. 
and uh, he wanted the people to worship there instead of going to Jerusalem to worship because then he, he thought if they went to Jerusalem to worship, they'd be drawn back to the king of Judah. So from the beginning, Israel has been walking in idolatry and um, the king of Judah now is also uh, tied up in idolatry and it says that he's connected to Ahab. Now Ahab, remember, is one of the more infamous kings of Israel. Ahab is the one who uh, Elijah, or excuse me, Elijah uh, sort of squared off with back in 1 Kings. Uh, Ahab is the king who was married to Jezebel. Um, Ahab was a notorious idolater. And um, not only is he, are we told that he, that uh, the new king in Judah is following the ways of Ahab, right? That he walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, but also says the daughter of Ahab was his wife. So he's married the daughter of Ahab, Ahab, a notorious idolater, right? And so the king of Judah is married to his daughter. And now he's tied up in idolatry as well. Kind of reminds us of Solomon, right? Who married these foreign women who turned his heart away from the Lord. Uh, in a similar way, it's, it appears um, that uh, Jehoram uh, has had his heart, heart turned, excuse me, uh, from the um, from the Lord to the uh, idols, and perhaps that's a result of marrying the daughter of Ahab. Right um, now, if we go all the way back to Second Kings chapter three, right, we can be reminded um, about. Um, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, right, who's reigning in Israel at this time, this is not the king of Judah, but the king of Israel that's mentioned at the beginning of verse 16. He also lived this way, right? He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is in 2 Kings 3. Though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So, um, you got two idolatrous kings now, the king of Israel and the king of Judah, both uh, wrapped up in idolatry. And uh, Jehoram uh, is, again, now uh, committing idolatry. But even in spite of that, here's what God is doing, verse 19. It says, Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. So why doesn't God just wipe out Judah at this point? Why not just be done with it, right? Um, well, we're told why. It's because of God's promise to David and God's faithfulness to the promise that he made to David. Remember, all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made a promise to David that we call the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David. And part of that covenant was this. God said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that was that began to be fulfilled in Solomon and is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. We're in between that. We're past Solomon, but we're not to Jesus yet. And God is continuing to uh, keep a, uh, a descendant of David 
uh, on his throne, right? Continuing to preserve the, uh, the kingdom of Judah. And uh, again, this is in faithfulness to God's promise. God also said, if you want to remember like the lamp idea comes from there in verse 19, um, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Well, in 1 Kings 11, verse 36, it says, this is talking about David, yet to his son, David's son, I will give one tribe that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. All right, so God is preserving the line of David, uh, the reign of the house of David, even though uh, the one sitting on David's throne at this point is not being faithful to God, God is remaining faithful to his promise. Uh, God is being merciful, right, to, to Judah. Uh, also, we read here about what's going on um, with uh, Judah's relationship to Edom, which is one of the, the kingdoms nearby. In verse 20, it says, In his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram passed over to Zair with his chariots and rose by night, and he and his chariot commanders struck the Edomites who had surrounded him, but his army fled home. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. Then Libnah revolted at the same time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Ahaziah, reigned, his son, reigned in his place. Now, what does it say about Judah that Edom is rebelling against Judah? Um, I, I don't know for sure, but here's what's interesting, right? Just at sort of the most basic level. When we're introduced to this new king of Judah, we're basically told two things about him. He's an idolater, and Edom has um, you know, separated itself from Judah. It has rebelled against Judah and Judah hasn't been able to stop it. So that seems like things are not going well in Judah, right? In the next paragraph, verse 25 to 29, uh, we get introduced to another king and the introduction of this king really sets up some um, high drama in the next two chapters, right? So this is mostly a prelude to what is about to come in chapter 9 and chapter 10. All right, so here's what happens. Verse 25 says, In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. So we're still focusing on Judah, the kingdom of Judah. Um, and we've got this new king, Ahaziah. Verse 26, Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. She was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. So the previous king married a daughter of Ahab, right? Now this king also is a son-in-law to the house of Ahab, right? And he, his mother is a granddaughter of Omri, who was king of Israel. Now, Omri was not a great king either. In fact, First uh, Kings chapter 16 tells us Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and so on. Right? So Omri was not a good king. He was an idolater. He was evil, wicked. 
And his granddaughter, Athaliah, is the mother of the king in Judah now. And um, the king in Judah is, again, son-in-law to the house of Ahab. So this is not... Uh, that's not ideal either, right? And of course, it could be possible that those um, people in his family had uh, turned away from the idolatry of, of their families or their ancestors, but um, those connections are not promising. They don't bode well, right? Unless we're told otherwise. Um, and in fact, we read here that it was not otherwise because verse 27 says, he also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. So again, he's tied up in idolatry. He's got these, um, connections to idolatrous families. It's not good. Verse 28, he went with Joram, the son of Ahab to make war against Hazael, king of Syria at Ramoth Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. Now that scene sets up what's about to take place. And I just want to give you a teaser. I want to give you a taste of what's coming. All right, the king of Israel has been wounded, and the king of Judah has gone to visit him. And we saw uh, last time that Elisha took care of some unfinished business from uh, the ministry of Elijah when uh, God told him, God told Elijah back in 1 Kings 19, this is after the showdown with the prophets of Baal and all that, the Lord said to him, to Elijah, to me, Elijah, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Now we saw last time in the first part of chapter 8 of 2 Kings that Elisha told Hazael that he was going to be king of Syria. Hazael took matters into his own hands and killed the king and took his place, took his throne. So Elisha was told that's what was coming, that Hazael would be king over Syria. Then God told him, And Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel. That hasn't happened yet. And third, the third thing, Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Mecholah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Now that of course has happened. Elisha is the prophet now in place of Elijah who's been taken up into the presence of the Lord. So you got three things there in that part of that prophecy. Three things that are supposed to happen. Hazael is anointed king over Syria. Elisha takes Elijah's place and Jehu is anointed king over Israel. Now Hazael has become king over Syria. Elisha has taken Elijah's place. But what about Jehu? That's what's about to happen next that Jehu is going to be anointed king over Israel while Israel already has a king, right? The two kings that are in um, uh, Jezreel at the end of chapter 8, both the king of Israel and the king of Judah, by the end of chapter 9, are going to be dead. Jehu is going to be king. And Jezebel, from way back in 1 Kings, Jezebel is going to meet her end as well, just in the way that was prophesied uh, by the, uh, 
by Elijah, right? When the Lord spoke through Elijah. So here are two things we can take away from this. A lot of names, a lot of things um, that are hard to follow and is really setting up what's about to happen next. But what can we take from these uh, two sections? One is that sin uh, persists among God's people in these chapters. Really part of what we are seeing in the books of First and Second Kings is we're seeing the decline from the days of David and uh, Solomon to the time when uh, Israel and then later Judah are sent into exile. That's that's the the arc of to me of the story is really a, a decline. It's a decline narrative from the uh, the glory days, so to speak, of David and Solomon, which were not perfect, right? But were good. Um, the decline from those days through years of idolatry, numerous idolatrous kings, until uh, the kingdom of Israel is taken into exile later in 2 Kings, I think it's chapter 17, and then Judah will be taken into exile about 140 years later at the end of 2 Kings, I think it's chapter 25. The, and the, what we see in that is God's people persisting in sin. There are moments of repentance, moments of faithfulness, but on the whole, the trajectory is one of of sin and rebellion and idolatry, and God uh, continues to show mercy. Right? The people persist in sin. God continues to show mercy. And here's the second thing. God keeps his word. He keeps both his word of mercy and he keeps his word of judgment. He keeps his word of mercy to David, as we saw this time. Right? He doesn't wipe out Judah because he promised David he would have a descendant on his throne. He promised him he would have a lamp in Jerusalem. He keeps his word of mercy, but he also is going to keep his word of judgment. We're going to see that next next time in the uh, the death of Jezebel in fulfillment of the Lord's word through the prophet Elijah. So God doesn't change. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. God is merciful. And we, whenever we sin, rather than persisting in sin, we need to turn to him in mercy and forgiveness as David did. God have mercy on me. Right? Wipe out my iniquity. Wash me. Cleanse me from my sin. Right? Because God loves to forgive his people. Loves for his people to turn back to him. And we need to remember that God is always faithful. We can count on him to keep his promises, to keep his word. God bless.